0: I was trying to save the battery, so, there you go. Um, well, we'll try it again. Good morning. Well, morning. Oh, that was better, yes. Uh, it's been mentioned a couple of times already that uh, camp has begun up at Flaming Pine, uh, way up north, and I'm sure other camps as well. And I was there last week, had a great week, and uh, just great to see the teens. teens did really well, and uh, you could just tell they were so glad to be back after missing last year. And uh, then for me, it's just really fun to see uh, members of our staff that were up there, uh, Caleb and Taylor and Alex uh, and Patrick. Patrick directed the camp and Caleb taught and Taylor was involved in just uh, uh, facilitating the discussion groups. And and, uh, they and the rest of our staff, I, I tell you, I believe, and I've been at this a while, that we have a blue chip team. That's what I would call them. I really believe we have a blue-chip staff. And it's just, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, I'm just really in awe of them and, and just love to see the way they interact with other people and, and the teens and the youth. It's something else. Uh, it's been mentioned, of course, today is July 4th. We celebrate it in this country as Independence Day. Uh, and even with all the challenges uh, we face in this country, I- I'm thankful to live in this country at this time in our history. And I think it's right to thank God for it and resolve to use the blessings we have in this country to bless others. We're in the midst of a sermon series called Home, and I like that word. It, uh, for just being a word, it sort of really has a warm feeling, at least to me. I have great memories of home. One of them, I lived in a rural area in South Dakota, and uh, we had still, back in that day, these little rural one-house, one-room schoolhouses. And uh, I, my memory is it was 10 miles from our house, and, and we had six-foot drifts, and it was uphill both ways. But they tell me it was a half a mile from home, and the hill was 10 feet high. So. That's not the most important thing. What I remember most of those days, in the winter, I would come home and I was hoping and frequently you come in the house and my mom had been breaking, baking bread that afternoon. And it was just like, that is the best. <laughs> to, take a, to slice the bread and then just smear all kinds, an excess of butter on it and have a glass of milk and it was just fantastic. And we looked forward to that and it was great. So I have, I have very fond memories of home and holidays and coming home after college and, and going to my room and it was, it was the way I left it and, and my mom was a great housekeeper so whatever mess I'd left, she'd straightened up. Just great. Of course, home is not, uh, is, and has not always been good for everyone. Uh, there are challenges with that. And church is or has not been always good for everyone. Some people have been hurt by people in the church or felt disappointed by people in the church, or maybe even more difficult, maybe we ourselves have been the source of pain for others, and that is difficult to bear. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, writes this about community. He says, community is not easy community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Uh, I would say amen, that's the truth. Yes, yes, that's true. So home and church can be wonderful when lived under the rule of Christ and painful when people do not follow Jesus closely. So our question I want us to think and consider this morning is how can we live in a way even with challenges, so that we can more closely be what Jesus wants us to be. First of all, as I've already alluded to, we must recognize and admit that people are not perfect, nor should we expect them to be, and sometimes people are not easy to live with. Eugene Peterson, in his reflections upon the book of Revelation, says, The basic nature of history is warfare. War is the human condition. To be human is to be at war. Perhaps we don't have the full impact of that because many of the wars we have fought have been not fought on our soil since the Civil War. But if you've been in some of the war-torn countries, you would say, Peterson knows what he's talking about. I probably would rephrase that, even though I'm no wordsmith, but I would say it is inhumane to be at war. But war is the human experience. A few years ago, Barbara and I were on a cruise. Um, they called it, uh, you know, they always have to put fancy names on it. It was like uh, antiquities or something like that, and, uh, which means old, right? Something like that. At any rate, um, the day before we would go on some exploration of an ancient site, there would be a lecture, and we like history, so we'd go. And one of the lines I remember from one of the lectures was that peace in the ancient world was the time between wars. Isn't that something? And that's still true today in some parts of our world. That's just a time of peace, and then there's another war. People endure that generation after generation. It is no big news that we are living in a time of turmoil, political, religious, social, cultural, and economic turmoil right now. While there may have been worse, well, there have been certainly worse times in our country's history, for example, one only needs to think of the Civil War uh, than our present time, in my lifetime at least, I don't recall such anger and angst since the 1960s when there was all that social unrest. But I was in high school and college, and I I wasn't paying much attention to national and international events, so it kind of all went past me. I notice people are annoyed and angry in general, and it is easy to bring that into a spiritual community. The good news is that the Bible acknowledges that we are wired for war, and it continually provides a strategic response to live in peace and with joy. This morning, we're going to wind our way through the book of Philippians, and you can have that in your Bibles, or we'll also have it up on the screens, whichever you prefer. A little background first. Paul, the apostle, planted the church in Philippi on one of his missionary journeys, and in general, the church in Philippi was doing well, and that least compared to churches in Corinth and Galatia. Still, there were problems, if you read the letter carefully, for Paul's mission work and problem, and there were problems at Philippi. The problems were that Paul was in prison, and you know this had to be a challenge for him, for he wanted to be out going around the whole world of the Mediterranean preaching, and here he's confined in Rome, although he could talk to other people about the Lord, and he did. There were also people, Paul says, who were preaching Christ from false motives. And I can only imagine, I I get mad about it. And you can imagine what Paul would be thinking about those that were out preaching Christ from selfish ambition when he was locked up. There were also those seeking in some manner to bind mosaic law on Christians. There were two influential influential co-workers of Paul who were at odds, Euodia and Syntyche. And I kind of like to wink and say, uh, you know, in the ancient Aramaic documents, they found that they were arguing about VVS materials, OK? Well, we don't know what they were upset with each other about, we don't know if it's doctrinal, we don't know if it's personal, we don't know if it was methodology. Uh, they were at odds, though, and they're very spiritual women and they're not getting along. And so what often happens is what you see in Philippians, and what, one reason it's so practical for us is what I see there, it's garden variety selfishness. And you see that in the core, the center of the letter that Paul addresses, that we ought to give that up. And so it's just universal in the human condition and has yet not become a massive problem at Philippi. But if left undone, left unaddressed, left without kind of dealing with all that, it develops into this low-grade challenge can work as leaven to either cripple or destroy a church if left unaddressed. So what is Paul's strategy? First of all, Paul is thankful for people. He writes, I thank my God Every time I remember you, in all of my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What an astounding statement. It is astounding because it is more normal to be angry or annoyed at least a few people, right? Perhaps there is some hyperbole here with all of his alls and every and everything, but still, Paul is so grateful for these Christians because they share in the gospel with him. How about us? Can we be grateful for not only those we naturally like and are drawn to, but those who are very different and surprisingly have different opinions? Can we be grateful for them because we share in the common experience of being saved by Christ? Is that the primary way we relate to people? Secondly, Paul is confident that Jesus will prevail in their lives. He writes, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. I'm astonished by Paul's optimism. Although Paul is not always this affirming of Christians, given how fickle and frail people are, uh, can be, I'm just still astonished at Paul's confidence. It is far easier to be cynical and wonder if people, are they really going to make it or not? We should not be naive about the challenges of being a disciple of Jesus, but after all, he said, Jesus said, the gate is small and the gate is, uh, road is narrow that leads to life. Still, Paul has great confidence, not primarily because of people. And we just need to hear that. Not because of people, because of the one who began a good work completed and that is always the story of the bible you just see it through the prophets isaiah one of the reasons he has hope for israel is because god has resolved to save them it's not because of who they are and after all isn't that really the only hope we have it's in the lord how about us it's easy to become disappointed discouraged and cynical maybe more for some of us than others I personally have known great disappointment, enormous discouragement, and deep cynicism. And of course, I've thought for very good reasons too, right? (laughs) It wasn't just for no reason, it was good reasons. Still, there's something greater than people. It is God. And God's plan is not going to fail. It is not going to fail. Thirdly, Paul urges the Christians to focus on their blessings in Christ. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship, common sharing in the spirit, if you know any tenderness and compassion from Jesus Christ, all these things, Notice that Paul assumes that Christians have these lived experiences that they could verbalize and talk about had they experienced. And it seems as though Paul is just saying, with these words, any, it's just saying, like he's saying, if you e- even have the tiniest amount of any of these, he, it's like he's saying, I'm not talking about if you have a full blown, wonderful, marvelous Christian experience. I'm just talking about if you have the teeniest bit of any love at all. Surely. Almost anyone could say, well, I've got a little bit of that. It is difficult to be aware of these experiences in life when life is hitting you hard in the face with other things, illness and conflict and poverty and on and on. But it wasn't easy for Jesus or Paul either. Paul was in prison. He had plenty of reason for anger and anxiety. But his focus was so much on the blessings in Christ that he had a better view of things and he calls upon the church to remember them as well. How about us? I feel like one of the chief sinners (laughs) in this arena. Uh, I tend to see the glass half empty and I'm quick to see problems and point them out, recommend solutions. Sometimes that may be helpful, I don't know. But uh, speaking for myself and others like me, we have to work at seeing the good things God is doing and be aware of the mercies Christ is extending to us and the fellowship we have with the Spirit. Uh, A few years ago when I was preaching at a different church, a woman in the congregation needed to move uh, from one apartment to another and uh, required a U-Haul truck. And so we had to go get it the morning of moving. And so uh, she drove. I rode along with her because I was going to bring the U-Haul back. And it was like up in Anoka or someplace. And so we had like an hour driving time. So when I'm doing this, I I just want to hear people's stories. You know, tell me your story. Tell me your journey of faith. Tell me about your life. And she just began, and, and it was like one hardship, one tragedy, one difficulty after another. One time she was <clears throat> run off the road by semi and just just uh, terribly broken up, and, and one thing after another, and then her life didn't get easier after that either. But what was so amazing to me, often I'd see it at the church, and I'd, I'd call her name, and I'd say, how are you doing? And she'd say, I am blessed. And I just thought, wow, always I am blessed. I am blessed. And I just thought, you know, wouldn't you like to be more like that? Wouldn't you like to be more like her? I would, I would. Fourth, Paul urges us to think of others <clears throat> then out of these blessings. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. See the focus on it here? Must have been a problem or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, some versions say alone, but each of you to the interests of others. Once they remembered how blessed they were, Paul urges them to work together, be unified, love each other, be concerned about each other's interests. How about us? How many problems would that solve if there was a critical mass of people in a church whose first goal was to figure out what would help others to grow in Christ first? Uh, Years ago, we lived in Philadelphia, and there was a a, a Churches of Christ that bought a camp, a Boy Scout camp, outside of Philly. And so... uh, it was, it was a wonderful camp, just like most of our camps are and all, all sorts of things, but can you believe it? There were people that didn't like some of the things that happened at camp. And, and so, uh, you know, they would complain. And I was, I, I was well, then I was younger. <laughs> Still, I must have looked old. I think I've looked old since I was 20. Because <laughs> I, I have older people coming up to me and talking about stuff, so it's like, no, I'm younger than you think I am. <laughs> I just I have an old attitude, so, <laughs> so anyway, you know, I'd get people come and talk, up, talk to me, because I'm a preacher, too, and, you know, I don't know what they thought I was going to do, but, you know, it, 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 for one thing, the kids were having too much fun. Well, it was a problem. And, and then there were children that came out of Philly that, you know, from r- rough circumstances, and they said, they often would say some pretty bad words. And, and that was upsetting because it might, you know, what, what are our children going to learn from that? Well, they might learn some bad words, you know, and, and they didn't know, some of them didn't know what the meaning of no was. And I, I didn't understand that concept back then because in my family, you know, there was my dad said, I'm going to tell you this once, I'm not telling you again. You know, so, but, the, the, you know, these children have not had anything like that so anyway, but but what was beautiful about all that and and there were doctrinal differences but for that week it was about the kids and you just bit your tongue and you just kept your opinions to yourself and you didn't make a deal out of it because it was all about the kids and what a beautiful thing to have that kind of spirit. I think it was people thought, you know, I don't like that very much, but, you know, it's not about me. It's about these children. So, you know, even in all that, it was, it was good. It was really good. Paul fifth then Paul reminds them of their example, Jesus. It may be, and some of your Bibles will have this section set aside, kind of indented, and what some scholars think is that this was probably an ancient hymn, though it doesn't look like a hymn to us, particularly. I don't know if we could form a rhythm, and I don't even know if anybody's written music to this. I wish someone would, or maybe it has been. I just, I just haven't heard it. Um, but, so, so it may be hymn, and so I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, perhaps what Paul is saying is here. Now, now you all know all these blessings that are in Christ, and I want you to behave this certain way. And now, remember the song we sing? Go live it. We sing this song. You go live it. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Just try and imagine, if you can, uh, singing this. Who, being in the very nature God, didn't acquire, consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had all this power. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then there was reversal. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Whether it's heaven, whether it's earth, whether it's under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father wow kind of says it all doesn't it just kind of mic drop how far should we go in loving people as far as Jesus went This is so clear for Paul that it is more important than anything in the world. He writes, Whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. It's a very strong word. And it doesn't mean that... Things in the past or things now are not important. It's just that sometimes, there, you know, that you've had things, it is so big and so huge and so enormous that it just outshines and outglows everything else in comparison. And so Paul says... I, I want to gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith and I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of His resurrection. Yes, me too. And participate in His sufferings. Oh. Oh. Paul says, I want to become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And even death is changed because of Jesus. Paul writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, being in prison, released, will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, makes no diff. For to me, to live is Christ." and to die is gain. He is everything. And so it shapes how I treat everybody. And then last, and I was afraid the sermon was going to get long and maybe I shouldn't add this, and then I thought, I can't not have this. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. I'll tell you what, I treat people differently when I visualize Jesus right in the midst of us, which he is. He is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what might you expect from a church that is doing this? And following the strategy and maybe having conflict and things upsetting the promise and the peace of God in this church will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts, plural, and your minds, plural, in Christ Jesus. So don't forget to rejoice and forget to pray. So how can we find peace and joy in the midst of all the craziness in our world? And I do think it's personally kind of crazy. Uh, We will when we're more grateful for each other and each other's gifts. We are more confident that Jesus will accomplish his work in people. We are more aware and grateful grateful for all the blessings in Christ. We continually rejoice and pray, and we intentionally and more frequently put others first uh when we lived in york nebraska frequently i took a group of teens down to dominican republic for a short term mission trip it was it was designed specifically for them just a fantastic trip but uh, i learned from another youth minister and and i i, I people on all kinds of stuff <clears throat> but uh, with his youth groups whenever he took him <laughs> took them anywhere he said okay you got to sign this or i don't know if it's literally but you got to agree we have a no-gripe contract. And I thought, that is fantastic. Uh, and so, you know, I, I used that and I told her, okay, from the time we get in the van to go to the airport from the, a, until all this trip and by the time we get out and before you get out of the van to so go back to your homes, there's no griping. There's no complaining. And you cannot criticize the missionaries or the native people doesn't matter what you think about it. Uh, now, if you break your leg, you, you know, that's fine. You can talk to me and complain about that. <laughs> I was a, I'm a little more tender than that even, you know. If, you, if you're feeling bad or something, you know, get, and some got sunburn and all that stuff. So, yeah, but, and so they did. They did. It was amazing. This week up at Camp Andrew Thompson, uh, many, maybe everyone knows him, and, and then he had a, a buddy, Britton, Uh, come from as counselors from Harding. So I I like, you can probably tell, I like to mess with people a little bit. So, okay, here's these two young guys. I'm an old guy. Good time to mess with them. They're coming in for food. They're unaware, you know, they're just, you know, easy, easy pickings. (laughs) So I said, oh, great, you guys are here. so I said, you guys have been to all kinds of camp all over, all over, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, uh, I bet that's been interesting. And uh, I wonder if I'm going to get some story out of them, like you know, it's yeah, you wouldn't believe the stuff we've seen. And they don't say anything. They said, yeah, it's been a good. It's been good. Well, they've either been told or know it somewhere. You don't, you don't complain about anything. You don't, you don't criticize anything. And so they were, they were just a delight. And so that was the end of my messing with them. That was just the end of them. <laughs> no, I, I, I praised them because. You know, they were, they, they were just right on. Isn't it true that some things are more important than my opinion? That's hard to believe because I'm right about most things. <laughs> it's astonishing to me that I have got a friend that has a PhD and he's more spiritual than I am. And he does not agree about with me about everything about COVID. I do not understand him now. And we've been friends for years. It's just, how can you believe that? Mm, well, he does. I love him anyway. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's just there's a greater mission than our own personal ideas and goals, right? It's not, now, I want to qualify this because it's not to say you can't ever say, point out something wrong, or even that you're being hurt. And if you want an example, go read Acts. I mean, there's these Grecian womans that aren't being fed distribution of food. They come and complain to the apostles, and the apostles do something about it. But but it's kind of a spirit. It's kind of a spirit there. And it does say that we have to rise above our own self-interest and follow Jesus in making others first. So it's been an interesting journey, this whole COVID thing, as we all know. And we've had discussions here about how to manage this. And then... (laughs) And then at camp, would you believe there are people at on the, on the board of camp that don't agree about the safety plan for COVID? Would you believe that? It's astonishing. Uh, you know, I won't go into all that, but, uh, but, but they've handled it well in a good spirit and everything. Uh, but uh, so, so I'm sitting at a table and I'm visiting with this mature Christian woman up at camp. And, and I, 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 well, surely I wasn't complaining. I was grousing, I was grousing. I'm not even sure what that means, except I you've used it, so I need to go look that up. But, you know, I'm kind of musing, musing, I'm musing about the COVID and talking about how difficult it's been to get everybody on the same page. And, and uh, so she says, uh, you know what, I, I, I will do whatever the board decides. Wouldn't you like to be more like that? When I grow up, I'd like to be more like that. Me too. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have loved us and you've shown us the way to peace with you and the way to peace with others. May we follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.